Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning, wherever you're tuning in from, along the Wasatch Front or beyond. Jay Catch, Michelle Bodkin, back for another week of fun. And Michelle, we got a big show today. We do have a big show today. And I got to give the tip of the cap to you because you've been working on this for about a month. Uh, I'll just put the cat, I'll pull the cat right out of the bag. We're going to have Mark Harlan on the show, Utah's AD. Uh, you mentioned to me this goes back oh, actually over a month ago. Yeah, this was during. Utah women's basketball's second round um, game that they had at Utah or hosted at the Huntsman Center. Uh, Utah's SID, Paul (laughs) Kirk, came up to me and I was like, sometimes when that happens, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, what did I do? And uh, it was actually a, hey, Mark heard your, your Saturday show. And he really wants to do it, so we want to arrange that. Yeah. And I was like, no kidding. And then after the game, Mark came up and talked to me and echoed the same thing. So we've been working on this for about two months, <laughs> trying to fit his schedule with our schedule. Sure. And really excited to have him on, really excited that he wanted to come on and talk to us Uh because he thought we sounded fun. So. I, well, I was as floored as anybody when you said, <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, Mark Harlan was coming to I was like, you mean the Mark Harlan you know, that runs Utah Athletics? Like, yeah, that's the one. I'm like, oh. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll be on at 10.15. So uh, we'll have a little extended uh, first segment here on the show. But as we are uh, typically, as we kick off today's show, let's get everybody's highlight of the week. I'm going to have you start off, Michelle. I mean, today probably counts as one. But, uh, you know, this week was just really nice. I actually took time off. I did not write a single thing this nice. week. So okay. uh, if you've noticed that there hasn't been a lot of Utah bylines this week with my name on it, it's because I finally took time off for the first time since I took the job at KSL. Mm-hmm. Um, just to decompress and catch my breath and and we're feeling good and great and I'm so excited to be back next week and sure. I have some fun off-season stuff planned so can't wait to get into it well that, hey, that's that, that's really good to hear Corey what do you got this week 
A highlight of the week for me has been the NFL draft. Um, You know, I relocated here to Salt Lake from Kansas City, and Kansas City has shown out really well, I think, on the draft. Uh, The whole setup's been awesome. Uh, The building they've got it at, Union Station, that's my wife and I's favorite building. We used to go have dinner there at the restaurant all the time, and so just seeing everything play out the way it's played out in Kansas City has been pretty awesome. I love the draft anyway, Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's in Kansas City, and and you get a little nervous. You're like, okay, it's flyover country. Everybody kind (laughs) of... you know, says Kansas City's a cow town. So it's nice to see that it showed really well so far this weekend on the draft. Well, see, and I'm with you on that. I was actually saying the NFL draft has been really fun to see guys like Dalton Kincaid live in their dream, obviously. I, I'm a draft junkie as well. Mm-hmm. It, it makes no sense in in, re, in reality. Think about this. Like, we're talking about guys who are per, being picked by teams. They haven't hit the field yet. There's going to be months until they actually hit the field. But it's still just a ton of fun. And we've got it on the TV here in the main studio. They're kicking off day three, so rounds four through seven. But it's just a really fun thing. And it is fun to see these different communities because Nashville, two years ago, was it two years ago Nashville had it? And then Vegas last year. And then this year they've had in Kansas City. It's going to continue to move around the country. I think it's really cool. Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's day three, and it's still packed, which is what I expect from Kansas City, that's the way kind of Kansas City is sure. as a sports town. So it's pretty cool to see that, that it's still packed on day three because we've seen some of these other locations where day three, it's pretty thin and pretty sparse for the crowd. Vegas So it's still, yeah, yeah, Vegas especially, but it looks really good on TV still with all the red out there for the Chiefs and the Chiefs drafting a hometown kid that grew up in Kansas City and oh, yeah. played at Kansas State. Just kind of a feel good now. He has to play good, but it's a feel good story for the draft. It's Felix Anadoki Uzoma. And DK Uzama. Uzama. So, born in Kansas City, high school football in Kansas City. Yep. Goes to Manhattan to play at Kansas State. Yep. And then gets drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. He's been going to Chiefs games since he was seven years old. He's the the new Robert Woods. I don't know if you know the story about Robert Woods. He's an L.A. kid. Went to high school in L.A. Played at USC. Drafted by the Los Angeles Rams when they moved back to the— moved back to L.A. He's now—he's moved. He went to Tennessee, and I think he's on the move again, but— Similar situation. Such like, a cool story. Yeah. You hope it works out. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that, you know, the fairy tale ending hasn't been written yet. Yeah. He's gotten to that point. Now, could he go out and star for his team and win a Super Bowl for his, you know, team that he grew up rooting for mm-hmm. would be really cool. But it is just an amazing night for him and his family. Yeah. It's going to be fun stuff. And uh, we're expecting a number of local names to come off the board today because we only have one so far. <laughs> Grand total of one with Dalton Kincaid. Well, that's not true. We have the two oh, high school kids. True. Yeah. We have the two local connections via high school. You're right. Uh, uh, Cameron Law, too, going to the San Francisco 49ers, as well as Siaki Ika going to the Cleveland Browns. I guess I'm more referring to the college. Yeah, call, the college guys, yes. Which we, have, we only have Dalton Kincaid so frank, far. frankly stunned that Clark Phillips and Blake Freeland are still out there, but that's okay. <laughs> Somebody's getting a still when those guys come off the you know board. What? Let's start right there. Let's hit it. Let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal really people know me i'm very happy for you i'm very important uh i have many leather-bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany (laughs) all right so as mentioned uh, only one local college player have been taken in the draft so far really cool to see dalton kincaid get his chance with the buffalo bills because in terms of landing spots that one right there for me, I'm like, that is awesome for him because that is a great organization to be playing for with a good quarterback, a good situation for him in terms of the offense he'll be playing in. I, I Honestly, I couldn't have thought of much, of much better spots for him to land. 
Yeah, I I think it ultimately worked out really well for him. I I liked the idea of the Packers. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been another kind of good spot for him. But the Bills are just more established. And so I I think the Packers have some work to do uh, in order to kind of get back in the conversation. But the Bills, they've been flirting with this for a while now and are, you know, one or two pieces away from, I think, really being a a problem in the league for for the long haul. And Dalton Kincaid very well could be one of those pieces. And it's for the reasons reasons you mentioned, you know, Josh Allen – is a great quarterback. They love throwing the ball around because he's good at doing that. Um, Breaking news. He's one of the top uh, five shocking, quarterbacks in the NFL. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I, there's something about, I can see, I think Kincaid and Josh Allen are going to get along really well. I, I kind of see them being very simpatico personalities. Sure. And then on top of that, you know, you're talking about a very small, tight-knit community in Buffalo. Yeah. The fan base is super loyal. They're super loud. They're super crazy. Dalton Kincaid's coming from a situation that's very much like that. And so I think for some guys, you, that can maybe be a little bit overwhelming. I think Dalton's going to just thrive off of that. And I think he's going to love the Buffalo fans, and I think the Buffalo fans are going to love him right back. Well, and that's the thing about it. Is he's, he's, just, he's, a, he's a fun-loving dude. We had him on our station all season long. He was on with Jake and Ben. Uh, he was just—he was a lot of fun to talk to. Like, and and some. So the funny thing about it is, when we have those, uh, we call them our NIL player interviews, like weekly interviews, with a guy like uh, Dalton. He didn't necessarily care as much. He was more engaged when you asked him about off the field mm-hmm. around his life, that that type of stuff. The football stuff, he would. He dressed it great, but he was he was actually even better. I thought in interviews when he was just kind of riffing on whatever else, like. Did you growing up in Vegas? Did you like to, so many different things in terms of his just outside of football? He was so much fun, and you're right. I think he's going to fit in quite nicely. The other thing about this is, I think the Buffalo Bills and uh, Corey. I know that you're a Kansas City Chiefs guy. I think they looked at what Kansas City has beaten them with, and it's been Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. and they found their Travis Kelsey in Dalton Kincaid. Uh, you know Dalton's potential in the league. I I think is astronomical, and it's yeah. it's because we are seeing you know the Travis Kelseys, the George Kittles. <laughs> um, just really kind of having a moment and Dalton has shown at the college level, he's very much that kind of guy. Uh, and I don't see any reason why, you know, barring crazy injuries or, or anything like that, why he can't emulate that same success sure. at the pro level. And again, especially since he did find such a good landing spot. Yeah. And there's no doubt about that. Uh, and I also mentioned, I'm. This is just my personal thought. I thought that Clark Phillips would be off the board by today. I also thought Blake Freeland would be off the board. So speaking of Utah star cornerback and also BYU star offensive tackle, but alas, round four underway. I think they said Nick Saldaveri is going to be the next pick by the New Orleans Saints here. I don't even know who he is or where he's from, but I'm assuming they'll be coming off the board pretty quickly here. I'm just stunned that they're not off the board already. I I can't speak too much to Blake. I don't know a whole lot about him other than he was an absolute rock star at the NFL combine. And I know that BYU really loved and saying his praises while mm-hmm. he was here. Like I know he's good. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what maybe some of the issues are uh, surrounding him that maybe teams felt like they could wait a little bit longer to get him with Clark. It's, it's his height. And it's it his size. Sucks. Yeah. It sucks because he's proven that the height does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, um, gosh, I just lost his name. The Ohio State wide receiver uh, that got drafted night one, 
uh, you know, I mean, Clark was all over that. Like yeah. Clark gave that guy a run for his money. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's one of those unfortunate things. Uh, but I also, I, I'm banking on Clark, you know, this is going to make him mad and it's going to make him hungry and, you know, look out NFL. I, I think he's going to have a great career. And again, I don't know Blake Free, Freeland so well, but if he's anything like Clark, it's going to be the same. It's going to be the same type of thing. Well, watch me. You're going to be so sorry you didn't take a chance on me. Well, and that's the thing about it is, is I, I know a little bit more about Blake's background and NFL teams. They're all about projecting measurables. And that's what Blake has in spades. Six, eight, long arms, freak athlete, all this stuff. But the, I think the one thing that's holding him back in a way is almost his lack of experience playing the position. He's played offensive line for four years. All four years he was at BYU. That's the only time he played offensive line. He played quarterback. He played tight end. He played defensive end. He even played punter in high school. Nice. He was, <laughs> he was the world's biggest punter. I'll tell you that. Much. I saw him kick the football. I'm like, who is that kid? I don't know. Have you seen Andy Reid's punt, pass, and kick? I have seen that. He might be the biggest punter ever. Andy was like 12, <laughs> and he looked like he was 34 against a bunch of 10-year-olds. You're right. Okay, you're a good point. Nice nice pull on that one, Corey. But the, the bigger thing to me was, like, I get that the NFL, they're all about projecting upside. At this point, I, I'm with you. The proven production is on the side of a, of a guy like a Clark Phillips out there. Because, yes, he's not the tallest, he's not the biggest, he ain't the fastest. Mm-hmm. But he's got proven production at the Power 5 level over multiple years. And a team is going gonna, is gonna to see that eventually here, I'm assuming in the relatively not-too-distant future with the draft ongoing. But also with Clark, uh, not Clark, excuse me, speaking of Blake, his is more about potential. Mm-hmm. How much... What, where is his ceiling in relation to where you're getting him right now for an NFL team? And there's philosophies on all of this. Like, I look at what the Atlanta Falcons did and them taking Bijan Robinson. I love Bijan Robinson as a running back, but you just took Tyler Algier last year in the fourth or fifth round. I remember which round he went in, and he ran for 1,000 yards last year. Are you going to go with two? Uh, like, are you going to go back to the old school NFL where you're going to run the ball every down? I just, that's my question about the philosophy sometimes with these NFL GMs. Right. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's always some questionable stuff. Why, why are we doing that? Because Bijan Robinson, he is a true three down back. Like he is a once in a decade type running back who can do everything the NFL requires of a running back. But to me, Atlanta's the spot that's like, okay, do you really need him? You need offensive linemen. You need guys on your defense because they're rebuilding. They're full yeah. rebuild mode. I just uh, maybe maybe they are looking to run the ball a lot with rebuilding. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I will say I love Bijan Robinson. Oh yeah, hearing his name makes me a little sad all the time because in 2020 it was him and Ty Jordan that yep. kind of broke out, and so I can't help but like think about and wonder what would we be talking sure. about Ty yeah. Jordan right now too? Because um, they were just they they were thing one and thing two. Yeah, and they were both very very good. You're right, and Bijan Robinson has become just he was this absolute phenomenal. Super, he yeah. lived up to the hype. Yeah, superstar at Texas did everything that that uh, program could have asked him to have done. And that's the thing about this is it's just so funny because the NFL draft can be so fickle in so many different mm-hmm. ways. Because you can think that okay, th- this team is going to do this, and sometimes you're right. But more often than not, you're wrong. You have no idea it, it, what it, these it, people by the way, are thinking. The thing with the NFL draft is it's a complete liars club. Like it's all about like because I remember. Did you guys see that the Reddit stream that said Will Levis was telling people he's going to go to Carolina, and all of a sudden these draft uh, the draft odds on these sports books shot Will Levis from I saw forty to one to four to one on DraftKings, and 
What does Will Levis do? He sits there in the green room looking dejected for the most part and then gets taken in the second round. Like, <laughs> I don't know who this random person on Reddit was, but they they set him up for just an incredible – and it set, to say a fall from grace, but it just it, – it felt like it's unfair to this kid because he's sitting there in the green room with his family, his friends around him, and they kept going back to him time and time and I time know. again. It's just tough. <sighs> Your heart hurts for those guys on one hand, and then on the other hand, you kind of just pout and shrug, and you're like, <laughs> there, there is a guy like this every year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. one, or, one or two guys where it's just like, we're just going to keep panning to how miserable you are because you're not going where we projected you would go. Sure. And th- <laughs> that's the thing about it is you, you, you're like, stop showing the kid. I know. But at the same time, as a TV programmer, you can't not, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it, it's a storyline. It's yeah. a, it's a, yeah, it's a storyline. It's something, something to watch. Yeah. And sadly, there are a lot of people that just thrive off of others' misery. All right. Uh, we are going to pivot now. We're going to bring in Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan, of course, uh, doing great things up there on the Hill. Mark, thank you for carving out some time and joining us here on the Saturday Show. How are you, sir? Oh, good, Jake. Good to talk to you and Michelle. Good to hear your voice as well. But wait, I was just coming in. Who's living off someone being miserable? Oh, Are there people like that? Uh, Who does you, that? You know, like <laughs> we, 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 our our topic we were talking about is the situation around Will Levis and how this week during oh, yeah. in the lead up to the NFL draft, somebody on, got on Reddit, a message board of all things, and said that he's telling people he's going to Carolina with the top overall pick. But meanwhile, he slips into the second round, and they kept going back to him time and time again during that first round of the draft. And it's just like if, if you felt bad for the kid. Yeah, no, I, I was reading some things. I. Um... You know, if you also, I mean, you do feel bad for any any student athlete and until he's not a student athlete, right, <laughs> going through that. On the same token, you know, 105, start every football season at this level, the hardest dang thing, and, and maybe on a good year, four, five, six, we'll get drafted and the rest just move on. So getting drafted in the second round to a team he may start at in the next year is not such a bad thing, right? But We'll see where it goes for him. But it's always hard when they focus in on those kids for so long, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely feel bad about that. Well, Mark, I think some some congratulations are in order for starts. Uh, Congrats on the AD of the year. That's incredible. Five years in at Utah. And uh, I think it's... Easy to say you have not had the easiest – in some ways it's been the easiest job. In another way, it has not been the easiest job. You started off with the Lauren McCluskey situation, had Ty Jordan, Aaron Lowe following that. Uh, And yet this athletic department seems like it just keeps thriving even with some of of the heartbreak. Just talk about that journey and and what it's been like having to deal with those situations but at the same time see this athletic department continue to rise. Well, thank you. First on the AD of the year, it's a little goofy, right? Because uh, there's just that's just a department honor in, in every definition. And, you know, you got such an incredible staff, 200-plus people, coaches and student-athletes, and we've had a lot of competitive success at the same time, you know, a lot of academic success. So it's a tribute to everybody um, and uh, probably another way for our department to have to buy a table at some event this summer. Maybe I don't know. But all, 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 of, it, all of it in there. But, 
You know, it, it, it is. I was just reflecting this week because it, it, someone had mentioned to me that the five-year period is coming up, and you do reflect on how fast it's gone, and you reflect on all the people uh, that have been around these last five years. And, and yeah, there's been some incredible moments. You know, I can think of many that, that you know, are memorable forever. And, and as you said very well, there's just been some tremendous tragedy that, uh, you know, that, that will stick to me and anyone that's been around, you know, for the rest of our lives. And, uh, you know, to, to see, you know, the students have to go through that is, is just heartbreaking, the families. But at the same time, to watch the nets that we have in the department to, to deal with things like mental health and, and um, that really helped move everyone forward through all those circumstances you know, I think we're up to five mental health specialists, and they're unbelievable, and they're so good, and and the utilization rates high. So, um, you know, just we're blessed to be around a lot of folks that that we're able to come together. You know, you say family, you know, it it, it has to mean something. And I think we've been able to create that here, and and then just on the recent success, I think during COVID, that was another piece where because we had such high infrastructure on mental health and incredible coaches and a long time folks that have been here, you know, we were able to really kind of launch out like a rocket out of COVID. Um, and if you really look back, it's particularly, you know, over the, the league championships in the last two years, I, I think coming out of COVID and the way that it was handled by our students really is a key contributor, but it's been a great five years. I can't wait to see what we're going to do next because I think we're primed to, to keep rising. Now, Mark, uh, the 22 Forever game was rebranded this year, obviously, in the memory you said of the difficulties of the situation with Ty Jordan, Aaron Lowe. Uh, can, a week removed from it, do you have any thoughts on how it went and ver- versus what you may hope it becomes in the future? Well, first thing I know is don't do your spring game on the same day as a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was going to bring that part up, but yes, you're right. Because the emails would suggest we should reconsider that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, listen, it, it is, it is a, um, it, was a, it was just an incredible concept, again, coming out of the football team, the leadership council, and the staff who have been so incredibly authentic in their celebration and remembrance of Aaron and Ty. And this was just another example of that, you know, to have all proceeds go to you know, to the scholarship uh, is, is, is fantastic. And, you know, we're very appreciative of, of everyone that comes and, and, and does that. So, no, we were, you know, a joke. We, the folks that were there, I thought were treated to a really, um, a really good event. Like anybody, you get to the end of these 15 practices and, and, you know, some folks are beat up. And so we didn't have everybody out there, which is, you know, like everybody else. But it was a great day. Um, got out relatively injury-free. I thought it was a terrific spring. The practices I went to, the guys that I talked to, obviously talked to Coach Wood a lot about it. I think there was a lot of growth. Just a really physical, fast group. I think that's what uh, folks are going to really see when we when we reappear in, in August. But another great step forward for the football program, and uh, you know it'll be here before we know it. You have kind of a deeper connection to the University of Utah. This was just brought up to me. I did an article about Keith Embray, and he talked about how you actually have a very close relationship with Coach Ron McBride and his wife, Vicki, from your time at Arizona. I don't know that people necessarily know that connection. Uh, talk, talk about them and that relationship that you built. Well, first of all, Keith is just fantastic. I uh, appreciate you. You're going to do a feature on him. It, 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 he's just been a, another really key 
person who's come in the last few years and has just brought such dignity, such uh, intelligence to his role in, in EDI, but also just who he is and, 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 you know, how he came to Utah and he changed as a person and, and he's just incredible around our student athletes and coaches and just, just love him to death. So glad he's here. So, yeah. So in 1987, I needed to go to college and, but I needed to find aid. So I went to the university of, of Arizona. They had football scholarship deals. Right. And I wasn't a football player, but I'm like, Hey, they pay you to go out. So I, became a football manager my true freshman year, and I got assigned to this this rather interesting feller named Ron McBride, who was the O-line coach. And so I was his student manager, and half the things I probably shouldn't say publicly what he made me do, something to do with laundry a lot, picking up stuff, the things he'd leave, <laughs> leave behind. I'd go back and trace his steps and find it. So Vicky, of course, she just, she just would get such a kick out of all the things I had to do for Ronnie. So pretty – pretty incredible when when the call came to to come to utah you know he was like the first or second person i talked to after and we were just you know crying and laughing about everything i mean how far you know we both have come and and so to come back and be around vicky and ron and the whole family it's just been such a blessing i mean you just look for these little god winks along the way and that's certainly one of those and and uh he's he's terrific and you know his players that come back all the time i mean they're just it's just I don't know that just the remarkable work he did, the the things he was able to do here. Um, you know, I I, I can't. I, I think people here get it, but I think I want to make sure more people understand that he was rem- a remarkable coach and a remarkable person here. Now speaking with Mark Harlan, Utah Athletics Director here on the Saturday Show on ninety seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone, and Mark. Now is uh, the, the the Power Five moniker has become a bigger and bigger thing. It feels like every year that this goes on. And we just learned this week about the expanded playoff, how it's going to look in 2024 in particular. Uh, do you, I guess, I'm asking you philosophically, do you like the idea of a bigger college football playoff in the football realm? Yes. No, very supportive of it. You know, have, have been somewhat vocal about that. Although I, when I was on the football oversight committee, I just stepped off, I think six months ago, I was on there for three years. I was mm-hmm. less vocal because, you know, you just got to be kind of chill about those things. But, but um, yeah, very, very uh, pleased and, and, you know, understand that I think greater access to that championship is better. You know, I'm also pleased with the way it's rolled out. You know, I'm not saying I agree with every little thing, but the fact that we can do, you know, opening games on campus, although very challenging in a lot of ways, and I'm on a little subcommittee trying to work through all that right now. But I think having more teams involved, and then quite honestly, I mean, I don't know if any of the ADs have said this, but it's just too true not to say it. You know, for our conference, when we went through such the tough the challenge with the L.A. schools leaving last June, you know, once the CFP expansion became permanent, you know, if there was other folks looking over the, the fence at other possibilities, you kind of got to recalibrate and rethink, right, because – now there's more access, you know, on, on most years, even without the L.A. schools, our data showed that, you know, that two will get in. If you got a 10 or, you know, conference or if we decide to expand or not, we'll figure that out down the line. It just it, it becomes a different calculus if you're really talking about chasing a championship. So that really helped kind of settle everything our league was going through. But I'm really excited about it. You know, it's been fun to look where Utah, you know, would have been seated. Um, and I think what did I see recently last year? Because we were one of the P5 champions, we would have had a bye. Yeah, been a four seed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably saw the same thing. And I think it would, we would have played the winner of 
Tulane, Michigan. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's exciting to to think about how it's going to be uh, moving forward. You kind of brought up some of the uncertainty about you know what's going on with the Pac-12, just college football in general. What's it been like for you as an AD? seeing Utah athletics so focused and willing to achieve any level of success, even with kind of the outward noise that's going on? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, I mean, obviously it's been a very interesting year uh, in, 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 in respect of so many outside of Salt Lake city, you know, Utah issues that, that our team manages here and, and big decisions by others or big work needed to be done by others that are so important to, to our future. And I went through all of the iterations of this, you know, I call it post June 30, right? The, the, the morning. When we, what, I like that term actually post June well, let me 30. Tell you what happened. Okay. <laughs> I had just come back from, I, th- I think my son and I had done a fishing trip or something. And I remember, I remember driving into work that morning and okay. thinking, man, things, things are going really good. <laughs> I mean, I was, I remember thinking that and I, I, cause I'd been gone. I got up particularly early and I remember, and I got a call from a friend of mine in the big 10 and AD there. And he said, are you sitting down? And I said, no, I'm driving. He goes, well, call me back. So I had a two hour heads up on it. And I remember staring out the window and going, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> hey, what, what are we, what, what's going to happen here? Called the boss, you know, get all those things I needed to do. But that began the journey of, of, you know, being depressed a little bit, worried about our conference, worrying about how it's going to affect our department. But as you go through any crisis, right, you get around people that are smarter than you and you listen and you work your way through it. And you really, Michelle, getting to your, your point or your question, you know, call all the coaches in. We talked to student athlete leadership, like, who cares? We have all worked for this year upcoming we're going to get after it. We're still going to be these 12 for the next two years. You guys do your thing. Coaches, student athletes, I think we could have a fabulous year here based on all our metrics. Go get it and let, you know, let the administration do what we're supposed to do. So try to set the tone that way, you know, control the controllables and, and move forward. And I think that's proven to be a good play. And as we sit today, you know, I feel good about where we're going. You know, we all want this deal done. You know, I do believe we're getting to that, that, that final time, although I've probably said that a few other times, but, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're just, we're not going to take any deal. We're just going to take a good deal. So I uh, feel like hopefully we'll get that wrapped up and then we'll go in and, and get after a, a new competitive year starting in August. I think you just invented a new term, Mark, post June 30th syndrome. I think that's a perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Believe me, it is a syndrome, I can tell you for sure. <laughs> well, okay. And you mentioned the fact that you guys, yeah, but you, your goal here, and you said, I think you laid it out there in that answer, is you've essentially told the coaches and players, hey, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people asking questions to you guys, but let us at the administration hand, level handle that. Have they, To your, I guess, under your knowledge, have people been able to focus on that? Because to me, it seems like they have been able to narrow in on that and keep that focus there. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, you know, all of us in this business, whether we're a coach or whatever role, you know, you're, you're, you've got your head up every now and then looking out what's going on in the landscape. And, and, but I, I do think that they did exactly that because again, you know, all these league championships this year and, and, and the highly ranked teams. I mean, if, if you're not solely focused as a coach or student athlete, you're going to get walloped at this level. So I think they really have focused in on that. And certainly when there's questions, 
you know, if they're out on the recruiting trail and, you know, hey, you guys are dropping to blah, 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 you're going to go there, <laughs> that, you know, I'm able to, you know, we're able to get to, to make sure we have everybody with, with the information that they need. But I do think we've done a nice job of just focusing in, you know, and I talked to some of my friends that are big 12 ADs, you know, when they had Texas, Oklahoma go out a year ahead of us, you know, one AD there in particular is a really good friend of mine. And he, and, and he just said, Mark, just focus your department on what's in front of them. Like, because the heat, they had some issues with that at, at, you know, at their place in the beginning. So that helped good reminder, just, keep everyone focused on what they can control, which is working really hard. Don't miss class, coach your tails off, recruit your tails off and let's go get it. Mark, we really appreciate the time you've given us. I have one more question for you. Uh, And it's, it's more in line with, we're now starting to get into Utah has the Crimson Collective. We're getting, we're getting very serious here about, um, donations and funding and that was something that you did at your last job at USF and they are currently seeing the fruits of that labor uh, with a brand new football facility Um, they're going to be building an on-campus stadium which they have not had in the 20 or 30 years that they've they've been a program Uh, and now like I said we're starting to kind of see this trickle into the Utah sphere as well why is donating or getting donations and funding so important and especially now with nil yeah well you know there's just there's certain amount of revenue streams that come to a department that you know have to be self-sufficient right and so you know maximizing those opportunities that you have are, are critical and i would argue you know the number one thing that i really have to watch every day you know our our, our teams are our, our student athlete experience um, et cetera, et cetera, it only works with resources. So what's been so great here is the donors that have stepped up, whether we had to get the South End Zone done or had to build a golf facility or had to increase our scholarship allotments or we had to increase operational budgets, whatever it might be, our donors have been very responsive. I mean, I think we had 7,100 Crimson Club donors five years ago. You know, now we're inching toward, you know, 12,000. You know, that that annual funding is is critical. You know, it's absolutely the money that allows us to go forward. I mentioned five mental health specialists. We don't have five mental health specialists without, you know, without donors. As far as the Crimson Collective and just the NIL, you know, what I've learned in this process is, you know, donors just need to understand, you know, what, what, what they need to do to support us the most. And I've been very clear that this is a new day. And NIL opportunities for our student athletes that are currently with us is a critical a piece of all of it. And I think what I've learned in all of this is that our place in that is, is we have to make sure we're, we're explaining that, you know, we're very clear on it's about our student athletes. We're very clear on, on our integrity and all of this, but it's, it's fair to say, and that's why president Randall and I did put our, put our support behind the Christian collective because the values are, are, are lined up in that way. What I'm really excited about on this is that, um, you know, we've, we've generated multi-millions for the football program, going into the launch of the Crimson Collective. And I think this is just going to supercharge, you know, the efforts, the kind of folks they have on their board, um, their leadership structure that's coming together. So I'm really excited about where it's going to go. Um, yes, there's national issues and, and how this has gotten into recruitment. And again, that's something for the ADs and the presidents nationally to continue to make sure that we're trying to do this the right way. But I love the story being told at Utah, a lot of authentic deals, a lot of, a lot of really good stuff going on from, 
cross country athlete, you know, up to almost 20,000 now in corporate support because she's out there pushing it to, you know, some of the top earners. Everyone talks about the top ones, but all the way through the organization. So I'm actually, I know it's counterintuitive a little bit. I'm actually kind of excited about the whole process. I know it's frustrating for our coaches that recruit when they run into some clear inducement issues. Um, and we just work through those as best as we can. But overall, um, I think the Crimson Collective is really going to launch us into being one of the very best in the country in this space. Well, Mark, I uh, cannot thank you enough for carving out some time to join us here on the Saturday show. Hopefully we can do this again down the road, but really do appreciate you taking some time to join us this morning. Yeah, really, just let me say, I listen to you guys a lot on Saturdays. I'm out and about with I'm taking my son to baseball games, and, and, and I just think you guys do a great job. Both of you guys do your homework and, um, you know, really, really appreciate anyone in the business that does their homework and, and, and you know, uh, does really good work. So thank you and appreciate you guys inviting me on. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. Thanks again, Mark. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great Saturday. Bye. Do the same. There you go. Mark Harlan. Interesting stuff. It was good to hear him talk about the Crimson Collective because that's a big deal. A huge deal, by the way. You, you, like, yeah. you got to get in the game. <clears throat> oh, 1,000%. And again, it's looking at his last stop at USF. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he, he is very, very responsible for some of the things that they are doing now. And that was a conversation that I had when I was in Florida. I met up with BJ Daniels, um, quarterback of the Salt Lake Stallions. Sure. That's how I know him. He's now currently working for the USF athletic department. And one of the first things he told me when we sat down to do our drinks and munches, um, <laughs> drinks and munches, drinks like and munches yeah. is, is that, the USF athletic department still talks about what Mark Harlan's done for them as okay. far as getting funding and donations going in order to do the things that they're currently doing. Um, so, I mean, that's huge. And that's something I, Utah's a little bit more of an established program all the way around than USF is. Um, you know, we're talking about over a hundred years of existence versus 25 30 years of existence um but i don't think it was something that utah took as seriously as they could have and in the last five years i think we've seen them up the ante and again that's because that's an emphasis that as we've been told mark takes very, very seriously. Yeah. We saw it at USF. We're seeing it here at Utah, and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Well, and he laid groundwork at USF that he never actually saw it come to fruition. It's paying right. off now, so mm-hmm. that's an interesting part about it. All right. We have spent a very long time on this first segment, so we need to take a break. We'll come back. <laughs> uh, we do have a local player that's come off the board. You probably saw it. Blake Freeland has been picked in the NFL draft. We'll talk about that. And by the way, we have two kickers off the board four rounds into the NFL draft. What? I know. We'll talk about all of it next. This is the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts. With the 25th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Dalton Kincaid, tight end, Utah. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle and Jake along for the ride. As you heard, that was the call uh, Thursday night as uh, uh, I want to say Blake Freeland, but we just had Blake Freeland <laughs> go off the board. Dalton Kincaid taken by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, welcome back to the Saturday show, everybody. Uh, we have two more local draft picks to talk about here uh, in the fourth round. So it's actually we're not even halfway through the fourth round, but we saw it with the 106th pick, if I recall correctly. Blake Freeland out of BYU goes to the Indianapolis Colts. And just a few moments ago, literally, mm-hmm. Clark Phillips off the board to the Atlanta Falcons. I have a friend that's going to be thrilled about that. Played at Stanford, okay. does some stuff with Pac-12 networks, oh, uh, but grew right. up grew up in Atlanta, and the Falcons are his team. So sweet. Well, here's the thing: Atlanta's a great opportunity for a guy like Clark, and it's it's a, it's a similar situation for Blake Freeland in both of these guys. Is both of those franchises because Shane Steichen's the new head coach out in Indianapolis. He's going to be kind of re- retro, re- redoing what Indianapolis has tried to do. They got their quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Huge boomer bust potential there with me. But they needed guys to protect him. And that's what a guy like Blake Freeland's going to have the opportunity to go in there and day one potentially be one of the left or right tackle in that situation to protect him. But similar situation in Atlanta for a guy like Clark. That defense, no offense to Atlanta fans, it was bad. <laughs> but they needed they need some guys who have who can go in there and play. And I think I this is just me talking. I think Clark is a day one starter in Atlanta. You know, Clark is probably one of the most there's my friend right now texting me. I, <laughs> I called it. Text. I called it. That's awesome. I just got a text. That is awesome. <laughs> um, going, to, going to Clark. Clark is probably one of the most hyper-focused, sure. responsible, I'm going to get it done. I know you said I can't do it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Individuals I think I've ever come sure. across. Like. He is just so incredibly smart. He knows what he wants. He knows what he has to do to get it. And I agree with you. I I think he's a starter in the NFL, and I think he's going to prove, be one of those guys that prove that, you know what, these measurables that the NFL is so in love with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes they don't matter. They just don't matter. A baller is a baller. And Clark Phillips is a baller. Well, and that's the thing about it is he, he – there, like we talked about this in the start of the show, there are two different philosophies that dominate the NFL draft. There's drafting for upside, what you project a guy can become, yes, versus what's on tape, like the the production, the proven production. Clark is the proven production for me. Mm-hmm. There's still upside there, yes. He's probably maxed out his frame. He's maxed out probably how much he's going to weigh his speed. That, that stuff's maxed out, but there's still potential for him to grow in his role. It, but there's the philosophy there. And to me, this is Atlanta saying, okay, we need some guys who can come in and play right away. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Clark is. Blake Freeland, to counter that in a way, is he is a guy, I said, he's only played offensive line for four years in college. He would never played it in high school. The 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 Colts are banking on the fact they're going to bring him in and they're saying, okay, he's only played for four years here. He's got a pretty good track record during his time playing this position, but how much better can he get? He's going to grow with our with our core here because right. Anthony Richardson in a similar circumstance. There's not a ton of proven production on his end, right? So 
to me, Indianapolis is their their camp is in the upside. We're projecting forward, whereas Atlanta knows, hey, this is what Clark Phillips is, and we need him to come in and be that right away. Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, gosh, I speaking of the Anthony Richardson pick, uh-huh. I that one worries me a little bit because See, I think he has so much potential, sure. but I think very much like Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. It's not doing him a favor expecting him to be your starter out of the gate. I think those were guys that need time. And, and the way the NFL operates, <laughs> we get impatient when yeah. you don't do what we want you to do immediately. And you'll just get tossed aside. And unfortunately, I think we've maybe seen that with Wilson. We'll see if he can figure out a way to get back in the groove of things. Maybe he can learn behind Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't sound like Rodgers is the most friendly person when it comes to that. He said all the right things this week about it, but the, the yeah, track record. The track record, not so great. Um, so it's uh, kind of funny to kind of weigh those two because he kept saying, uh, <laughs> my, my goal is to come in here and build up his confidence once again. And I'm like, is that what you said about Jordan Love over there too? Like, well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Buckle up, buttercups. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the same thing with Anthony Richardson. It's, I hope they're patient with him because yeah. I think there is huge potential there. But he is very raw. Mm-hmm. He yeah. is very, very raw. And he's going to make some really boneheaded mistakes. The, the, the Colts are banking on him becoming Josh Allen. The, I, I know that yeah, making no. comps are like they're kind of a fool's errand in a way. But big body. Better athlete, well, he's even better athlete than Josh Allen is. Oh, 1,000%. But did not have, he's got the same type of throwing numbers in college that Josh Allen had. And Josh Allen has become a 65, 70% completion guy in the NFL. The the Buffalo Bills brought him along. Mm -hmm. That's what Shane Steichen, who worked with Jalen Hurts and developed Jalen Hurts into what he is with the Philadelphia Eagles, they're banking on him going into Indianapolis and essentially doing that with Anthony Richardson. I also agree with you, though. He's being put in a situation where if you're going to toss him out there game one, it may be a bad idea because in some ways I actually feel like Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets and having Zach Snow sit behind him, which I project is probably for two years. Yeah. What seems that way. This is what Zach needed. Zach needed this year one. From the get-go. From the get-go. That's what Anthony Richardson kind of needs. But the situation with Indianapolis when you're the number four overall pick is fans are going to demand, I want to see AR whatever his new nickname is going to be out there on the field. And looking like Josh Allen. <laughs> yes, but they should not be. They should yeah, not don't, be. Yeah, don't, 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 yeah. don't, just don't. All right, we'll come back. We'll continue to talk about this. We're going to track this throughout uh, the entirety of our show. Any other guys who come off the board, we'll make sure to bring them to you live. Any other thoughts on that as we continue on as well? Uh, coming up next, though, we'll get to technical fouls. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch, along for the ride on the Saturday morning. 
Okay, uh, now it's time for technical fouls, but real quick, just get a quick update in. Braden Daniels has come off the board to the Washington Commanders in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Starting to see the local guys go a little uh, quicker now, Michelle. It's fun to see. So fun to see. I, I am so excited for Braden. Uh, he is a guy that I feel like was overlooked a little bit mm-hmm. uh, until he had that performance at the NFL Combine, and it was so fun. I actually caught the offensive lineman, so it was really fun seeing uh both him and Blake Freeland being like the in, in the top three of all the offensive linemen that they brought there. Sure. Uh, it, it was just like a back and forth. They kept trying to outdo each other. I thought it was great. Uh, it was a really great showing for the state of Utah and what we provide with our colleges as far as going to the next level. Um, but yeah, Bray, Braden absolutely deserves this opportunity. He's worked hard. He's quietly worked hard. Uh, and now, you know, he's getting his shot at the next level. Well, one thing, just real quick on that, the one thing I like about him is he offers versatility no matter where you line him up. Guard, tackle, even center potentially if they want. He can play any of those positions. So he may not project as a left tackle at the next level, mm-hmm. but the nice part about the Washington Commanders, they can be like, all right, let's try out some different positions and see where you fit best. Just, yeah. And it, and that's kind of by design. Yeah. Uh, that's something that's kind of been a key with Jim Harding yes. is he moves his guys around and gives them experience kind of everywhere or a Correct. lot of his guys. Um, and it just makes them more valuable at the next level. All right, let's get to technical fouls. Uh, Corey, I'm actually have you kick us off this week. Go ahead. My technical foul goes to Dylan Brooks. I, was uh, say, might have seen. I, I had an idea. <laughs> I was going to go with this one. So I guess you and I have a co-technical foul here. This is true. Uh, yeah. Last night, the uh, Lakers just boat raced the Grizzlies, Pounded, yeah. beat them by 40. Yeah. You might recall Dylan Brooks uh, calling I, out LeBron, saying, I don't respect anybody until they put 40 on me. Well, interesting that the Lakers won by 40 last night. But Dylan Brooks, instead of facing the music and owning up to it, Dylan Brooks bailed out of the locker room last night before media could get to him to ask him any question. That is just, that, that's cowardly, yeah. Dylan Brooks. And for you to walk away and not face the music, that is a technical foul on Dylan Brooks. I was going to go with it, too, because I, I, I tagged, so I saw Tim McMahon, I think from ESPN, said that he he evacuated the locker room yep. before media was let in. I tagged it with the Kobe Bryant gif, the so, soft one, because that is Charmin soft. Mr. I don't respect him to put 40 on me. And then you ref- and then you claim that the media and the fans are creating this villain persona for you. And then after that, you refuse to address the media for two plus games. And just the whole uh, Grizzlies yeah. persona talking all this smack. They, you've won nothing. They've, they've like, gone win something and then talk. They've won nothing. And they do all this talking and chirping. And then Dylan Brooks just disappears. They went from uh, like plucky underdog to like arch. Um, I don't know what you'd want to describe. Like, they're, 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 everybody hates them now. They're, they're easy to hate right yeah. now. Anyways, they went and they did that like overnight. It's crazy. But anyways, well, so. I mean, nobody in Salt Lake is surprised. Dylan Brooks is a punk, Sharp, and, and we all knew he was a punk the moment Sharp, yeah. that he uh, he decided uh, to flop. And worst. nobody was near him. The worst flop, <laughs> man. I just Sharp. now well. Now I know why that gif was floating across my timeline. Now you know. Now yeah. I know. Yeah. Char- I, I saw it like Char- yesterday. Charmin soft. That's, so Charmin yeah, soft. It's ridiculous. All right, Michelle, what do you got? You know what? We're going to go back to something that we kind of touched on before we had Mark Harlan come on. Mm-hmm. If you missed that, make sure you go back and you listen to it. We'll get it on the podcast for, um, for sure. Yes. But technical foul on the camera, guys, that kept 
panning on poor Levis. Like, oh, Will Levis. He, he, he got the Aaron Rodgers and the Geno Smith treatment. Those are the two uh, quarterbacks come the most notably Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn Ooh, as well, you're right. Yeah. Also good call. They had to sit in that green room. And as a TV programmer, like it's your job to to show them in the green room. But to do it, it was, was it 30-plus times I think they showed him? Oh, was it? And, and by the way, the other oh. thing about this, the, the other thing that made it worse for me is ESPN somehow has a metric now of – well, it, the option, the odds of him having not gone in the first twenty picks was one point one percent. Yeah. Why are you doing this to this young man? Anyways, continue. I mean that that was pretty much yeah. it. Just like, oh. like I get it. Like okay, one or two times. Sure. Like in key moments, this should not be the storyline to kind of end the first round of the NFL draft. Like. Well, it's what's supposed to be the best night of his life, yeah. and he's sitting there suffering through real embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me why they do that to guys. I understand the theater, and you're trying to, you know, show, you know, make it dramatic. But your guys can talk about it. You've got your analysts; they can be talking about the surprise that Will Levis is falling. There's no reason to keep showing the guy. I know. Yeah. So it, heart it goes out to him. Brutal, brutal stuff to watch that go down. But hey. He got he got in a good spot because Tennessee's gonna give him a chance to compete for playing time yeah. right away, and he's playing closer to where he played because Kentucky. But it's just you feel for the kid because he's put on a like they're they're already on a pedestal, mm-hmm. but in that situation, everybody's kind of like making fun of you, and that's that that's the tough part to yeah. stomach. So yeah. I don't know, and there were people because he had, so he left the draft and went home. He had a family function or something like that, and people were saying, "Well, he just he he fled Kansas City." I'm like, "No, he didn't. He had." He, he had planned. Why he, would he come back and subject himself to it again? Well, true. But, just get out of the, get the, out of the thing, view of everybody. He fully anticipated being done Thursday night and being wherever he was supposed to be in the NFL. Like, he was supposed to be doing a press conference like Dalton Kincaid did for the Buffalo Bills. Right. They fly him on a private jet and they do a press conference. He fully expected that to be going down. He did not flee the scene. Whatever. Yeah. So lame. <laughs> don't Don't do that to people. It was rough. It was a tough scene, no doubt about that. All right. Uh, we will come back. We'll uh, dive in. I want to talk a little NBA. Also, we'll keep you updated on the NFL draft. We've got a lot to cover. Hour two of the Saturday show coming up next. This is 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. I like this bump back right here. Like, what you do for money, honey? Like, come on. This is the NFL draft. Like, these guys, by the way, I will never begrudge any young man who gets their opportunity here in the NFL. This is this is life-changing stuff that's happening right now. No, you put you put the work in. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you do everything you're supposed to do. Like, yeah, there's some guys that kind of slip through that you're like, hmm. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> sure. you you maybe should have been vetted a little bit more. <laughs> sure. Uh, or or excuses should not be made because you're really good at throwing a ball, catching a ball, whatever. Uh, yeah. But for the most part, I I think these guys just work their tails off. And, oh, they do. And try to try to do the right things, and that doesn't mean that they're squeaky clean per se. Like, I mean, they're college kids. College kids do dumb things, uh, but. Yeah. But see, seeing them have an opportunity, and especially the ones that you know, like, this is life-changing. Like, this changes things for their family moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, 
though, those are the ones that I'm always especially happy for. Well, and that's the fun part about it is you're you're watching these young men live out a dream that trust me, I had the dream growing up. I growing up, my dream, Michelle, I had two things I wanted to do in my life. Like, two, like you would ask me like. 10 years old. Jake, what do you want to do with your life? I wanted to be the Titan for the San Francisco 49ers, okay. or I wanted to be Tiger Woods playing on the PGA Tour. Those are those, those are the two things I had like wanted to do in my life. Let's see. For me, I wanted to either be an interior decorator okay. or an FBI agent, and oh. I am neither of those things. And nor am I, but but the, in 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 the sports realm, it's fun to see these guys because they they literally have put in the time. They have put in thousands upon thousands mm-hmm. of hours, and they've invested their time, and it's it's paying off for them. That's the fun part about this. So we're living the dream. Uh, I I don't want to spend the entire show on the NFL draft. I do want to talk about the NBA playoffs here for a little bit. We talked about it a little bit last segment uh, with the Lakers just going out and absolutely crushing the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, L.A. Uh, sends uh, Memphis off off into the off season. Now, when it comes to the playoffs, Michelle. It's been a very interesting first round because we have seen upsets. We've seen um, really good series. Like for, for example, I kind of adopted the Sacramento Kings as my team for the postseason because they had made the playoffs in forever. They were they were kind of a fun brand of basketball, high scoring, the, the most efficient offense in the NBA this year. They're in an absolute dogfight with the Golden State Warriors. It's been a great series. But that's not the only fun thing that's happened in this. We've had so much going on. I don't know how much of you, you've ha- you've uh, digested of it, but what have kind of been your initial takeaways of the first round? Because it's getting close to wrapping up. I, I think it wraps up tomorrow with Golden State at Sacramento. It's the only first-round series still going. To be honest, I, I have not taken it. You checked it out? I, <laughs> I usually don't really start paying attention until we're down to the – there's just too many games. Sure. Um, oh, there is a lot of them. There's and no I, I feel like there's a lot of phony baloney – in order to stretch out the seven, I just I I I think it's a little fake myself. Okay. Um, but you know, I mean, the Dylan Brooks thing has been amusing. Oh, and that's <laughs> the thing about this is we've had because we've had the Draymond Green stomp, right? So yes, and he's a villain in his own right. There's been a lot of bad behavior. In well, this trust first me, we've round. seen. I think I have my count. Corey, you might be able to help me out with this. I've, I can count. I can remember four groin shots in the first round of, of in different series. Is that is it four of them? Because we in one game we had Joel Embiid and James Harden for the Philadelphia 76ers go at uh, two different players' groins in the very same game. Then you had Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks. Then you had the stomp by Draymond. Yeah, there's been, there's been some uh, physicality in the playoffs that has drawn some attention. Yeah, it. it Michelle's sitting here like, what is going on? But but that's the thing about this. This time of year, it's. These teams are fighting, clawing, scratching, doing whatever they can to climb to the top of the heap. Right. I would have never in a million years. For example, so Milwaukee, best record in the NBA, number one seed in the East. What happens? Jimmy Butler says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go take these guys out. And they upset. So eight seed upsets the number one seed. Sixth time in NBA history that the number one seed is out in the first round. But Jimmy Butler went like supernova and just took him out almost single-handedly. I, I mean, in these cases, like, that is why you watch. Yeah. You you watch for the Cinderella story. I feel like it doesn't happen very often in the NBA, and obviously the number just proved my point. Yeah, six, six times, yes. Uh, but, I, I mean, that that's an exciting development. 
Yeah. So, for example, so we got Phoenix Denver starting tonight. It's the West semifinals, the second round. So we got KD uh, and Devin Booker, who, by the way, Devin Booker has been really, really, really good, going against Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray with Denver Nuggets. To me, that's a series that almost feels overlooked in a way because of all the other hijinks going on. You've got two teams. Trust me, the firepower of both these teams make them contenders to win it all. Mm-hmm. But it feels like Miami at New York. The the I'm calling it the Jeff Van Gundy Memorial Series in a way. I don't know if you do. You remember in the late '90s when the Alonzo Mourning led uh, Miami Heat were going up against the Patrick Ewing Knicks, and uh, they got I don't some remember this. Jeff Van Gundy Jeff, swinging from Alonzo Mourning's leg. Yeah, so Jeff, Jeff Van, <laughs> Michelle, you got to go Google this in the break. Jeff Van Gundy literally is clinging to the leg of Alonzo Mourning as this brawl is going on. They're trying not to get trampled on by these. Players, because Jeff Van Gundy's he's 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 a normal person. He ain't like he's not Mark Pope over there, who's six ten at BYU as a coach. Jeff Van Gundy's an every man's man. Like he's six foot maybe, and he gets he goes right out in the middle of this brawl. Michelle Lonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Latrell Sprewell, I think was in that one. Who else was in it? Um, uh, back then, I would Allen Houston. Houston. I don't Oakley think Oakley was. I don't know if Oakley was still there. Regardless, like yeah. these are mountains of human yeah. beings. Throwing haymakers at one another, and here's Jeff Van Gundy clinging into Alonzo Mourning's <laughs> It's it, it's a throwback to 20 years. This is the this is the heyday for me going like having Miami take on New York. I'm just like, oh, I can't wait. Yeah, and it's New York. Uh, mm-hmm. The NBA loves this. The NBA yes. is better if the Knicks are better. Did you see it, Michelle? I, I I just I I looked up a picture. Okay. You know what? I you don't normally picture a guy in a suit. Oh yeah. Out in the middle of a court. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hanging off of some guy's leg. That's There was okay. no love lost between those two teams in the 90s. Oh, There's no. clearly not that kind of rivalry now because the Knicks haven't been relevant right. enough. No, you know, the Heat have nice, had some good teams, nice but yeah, the Knicks have not been in their way for yeah. all the Heat success that's happened since those late, you know, mid to late 90s games. Um, but you, you talked about Phoenix and Denver getting overlooked. I mean, it's because you've got the Lakers waiting for who they're going to play. You've yeah. got New York now in the second round. Exactly. You know, you've got Philly and Boston, two big media is, markets that have a lot of star this, power. This is the NBA's fever dream. Yeah, having, I'm loving it. Because the Knicks haven't made the second round since 2013. It's been 10 years. Like You're right. The 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 The... the the New York Knicks of the 90s versus – it's two different things. This series, though, it could reignite that because Jimmy Butler has been he, – he is such a good player, but he also – he ain't afraid to mix it up. No. And that's the thing about this. Jalen Brunson on the other side with the New York Knicks, all he does – he doesn't talk a ton. His play, though, gets after people. And trust me, Utah Jazz fans – Everybody who was a key piece of the Utah Jazz last year is now after the first round. Quinn Snyder with the Atlanta Hawks is done. Rudy Gobert with the Minnesota Vikings. Donovan Mitchell. Oh, what happened? Disappeared once That's again. That's the Salt Lake side note to these playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are both watching Out. along with the Jazz right now. And the Jazz have all those picks and all those players they got from them. So, okay, and I guess I'll morph that. I actually want to build off what Corey just said there, Michelle. If you're a Utah Jazz fan... In some small way, and maybe maybe small way, maybe a big way, you got to be thinking, hmm, maybe we're in a better spot than we thought. Even because a lot of people last year, we thought this was going to be a teardown of of epic Mm -hmm. proportions for the Jazz. But as Corey just mentioned, well, the Jazz are sitting at home, and now Donovan, Rudy, Quinn, they're all sitting home too. You're right. Yeah, everybody that got traded away is also sitting at home. I mean. If you're more of the petty variety fan, <laughs> and 
There are many uh, of and those. Then yes. There are many of those. Uh, yeah, I I would have to imagine that feels good. Like it it means that you didn't trade anyone away that would have maybe made a huge difference for you in the here and now. So sure. Well, the other, the other thing about it is is it has opened a new. Um, how do I say this right? It's opened a new door for the future for the Utah Jazz here. Because mm-hmm. as Corey mentioned, you traded all these guys away for a bevy of picks. Trust me, Minnesota, like I, I, I've i got a buddy who is, I don't want to say a buddy, but he's a, an acquaintance of mine who's okay. a Minnesota fan. And trust me, Minnesota Timberwolves fans are hard to find. Like, honestly, <laughs> it's, I, I just haven't met many of them, but he is a Minnesota guy. And he was lamenting the fact, he's like, I cannot believe Danny Ainge went and fleeced the the Minnesota Timberwolves as hard as he did. Meanwhile, I'm over here as resident guy who grew up rooting for the Utah Jazz over here. Totally okay with it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because Danny Ainge and the moves he made, and that that includes the Rudy Gobert deal, it includes even the Royce O'Neal deal with the Brooklyn Nets as well, because they went out in the first round. The first round picks and the cap space that he opened up, it is going to give the Jazz every option under the sun. Now, PK has been talking about this all week on the podcast. Uh, Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck sat down with the media to talk about this. And if you listen to their words, it felt like they were trying to temper expectations in a way. But at the same time, and I I completely agree with this assessment from PK, it's been very interesting to see that the, the Jazz are saying, if there is an opportunity out there for us to push our chips in, to cash in on a, a player, they're not, they're, they're not going to be afraid to do that. And that... To me, that is the right mentality to have. Be cautious, but when that opportunity presents itself, you go all in on that. Yeah, no, I I think that's smart. You don't don't just jump at anybody. Uh, and I I think you know, looking at Utah football, that's yeah. that's a little bit of what they're doing. I think right now with some of the open wide receiver spots that they have, uh, it's very much a. It don't. Don't don't just jump on the first thing that comes along. Uh, be be thoughtful. Be mindful. Really understand what it is you're looking for, mm-hmm. and when you find it, yeah, for sure, push all the chips in. But don't do that because you feel like you have to do that. Well, and that that that's the thing about this is you're right. They they don't have to force the action here. They have the capability of. Okay, maybe this draft, and David Locke said it this week on Jake and Ben, if I recall correctly, he his early projection of this draft, he thinks it's really thin. And there have been people that have been talking about this draft actually being quite deep. So I'm kind of one, and I, I trust me, I've worked with David Locke a long time. I actually have an immense respect for his opinion on this. If he's saying that the draft is a thinner draft than than what some other, because we all know Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, those guys are at the top of the draft. Mm-hmm. Great. Those are franchise changers. But where the Jazz are picking, the ninth spot currently, the 16th spot, and I think they're going to have the 76ers, which is 27, if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken. Those are not the most advantageous spots to be in. But if draft night comes, and if Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, whoever the brain trust is, Ryan Smith probably also be involved, they feel like there is a guy on that board potentially sitting at five or whatever. Who's to say they don't package some deal together and say, call up whatever team and say, we need to get up to your as a spot. Mm-hmm. What will it take for us? Well, and it also comes down to your scouting ability yes. and your ability to find the guys because there are going to be guys in the teens, in the 20s. I mean, hell, Jokic was a second-round pick. 
Giannis was picked in the teens. I mean, you've got the opportunity. Those are, you know, two of your three leading vote getters for MVP this yeah. year. And it's because teams scouted them, found those guys. And I gr- granted, both of those guys are foreign players. Sure. So we don't really know the foreign market as well as we know the guys that are coming out of college or the guys that have been playing in the G League. Mm-hmm. But that's what. You know, Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck have to be able to do. There are going, there's going to be somebody when they're taking that Timberwolves pick in the mid teens that is going to be a star in the league. The question is, are they the ones that know who that is? Mm-hmm. And do they get him with that pick? Or does he fall to 18 or 19 or 22 or fall into the second round? I mean, there's going to be guys there that can be stud players for you. So it comes down to how well you evaluate that talent. Well, Jimmy Bell was the 30th pick. Yeah. yeah. People forget that. You they- can find that talent. Well, Nikola Jokic, forty second, something like that. Forty, yeah, somewhere. He was in the middle of the second round. Yeah, you can find the dudes. The one thing that gives me faith, and I'll let you respond to this, Michelle, is that Danny Ainge, his track record in Boston is no matter where he was picking, he went and got Jason Tatum with a number one overall pick. Other times he was drafting in the middle part of the draft, like the teens, kind of where the Jazz are projected right now in this year's draft. Even at the tail end, when he had when he had championship level teams with the Celtics. Danny's track record is no matter where he's picking in the draft, he understands where he can get value. He knows, okay, this is where I'm picking. This is my list of players. And he normally is hit on most of those players. And that should give you faith as a Jazz fan that when it comes draft time, he's probably going to find the right guy. At least he more often than not hits, if that makes sense. He He's a guy that understands what he's looking for. He's yeah. a guy that understands how to find under-the-radar talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, let's let's talk about in, in this state, sometimes you kind of have to. Well, uh, yeah. Utah football, again, great, great example of finding guys that, and look, I mean, one of the top, top picks in this draft was a guy that nobody knew about out of San Diego, you know? Played high school uh, basketball until his senior year. Walks, well, He didn't walk on. It's a non-scholarship league in the Pioneer League with San Diego. Blows up, realizes he's a heck of a lot better than the level he's playing at. Utah realizes it. Freddie Whittingham, to his credit, because we played it. PK did a one-on-one with Freddie Whittingham at, at the tail end of spring ball. He said, when he came to beat Utah, I thought he was going to be an NFL player. Mm-hmm. Did I think he was a first-round draft pick? No, but I thought he was NFL caliber, and lo and behold, it's proven out. And here we are, and yeah. it's, it looks like Danny Ainge, you know, at the pro level in the NBA, has the same kind of talent, uh, finding guys that maybe aren't as highly valued, uh, but everybody will end up going, well, how did you know, or how did we <laughs> miss this, or why, did it, why didn't we pick up on that? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there are just some people, some places that just have a talent and a knack for that, and and again, being in a smaller market like Utah as a whole, mm-hmm. that's a valuable thing to have. Well, and you're right. That point exactly is you have to – Utah's not going to be Miami Beach. It's never going to be New York City. It's not going to be L.A. You need to find the advantages where you can find them. The one thing I like is the just my perception of it. I don't have any inside knowledge of this. Is that Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, and especially Ryan Smith as the owner – they're all in on making Utah as attractive a destination as they possibly can make it. Whether that's going to be, yes, you go out and make a big trade to bring in somebody. Or if you, you hit in the draft, you keep that guy around. You make sure that they're, they're loved up and they're taking – they're going to make – this next generation of NBA players, they're going to make $1 billion in their playing careers if they bear it out. Like Victor Wimbenyama, 
I'm, I'll say right now, 10 years from now, Big Vic could have $1 billion in career earnings. I wish I was a little bit taller. I, I wish, wish I was a, was a baller. Bit, yeah. It, yeah. Mm. That, but that's the thing. It's a <laughs> whole new generation here. And the, by the way, the best part is the Jazz have the same exact amount of money as what an L.A. has under the salary cap structure. Now, with the luxury tax and all that stuff, teams can do some machinations like we've seen Golden State do. They're still paying through the nose to keep that core together. But I just I feel like the Jazz are in a pretty advantageous spot right now. I'm just as I watch the NBA playoffs play out, I don't think it's going to be too long before the Jazz are back in the playoffs. The hope is that once they get back there, it's got a bigger, not bigger, a higher ceiling than what we saw with the previous, the Donovan Rudy Jazz. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, I uh, the fact that this team kind of exceeded expectations. Kind of? I, <laughs> they did. Well, I mean, they did, but then we kind of got really in love with the idea of them possibly going to the playoffs. Sure. And, okay, they didn't make that. Yeah. Um, and they may have, may or may not have purposely. Purposely done that. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows for sure? Only the people in the room yeah. know for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think that should give some hope that the bounce back will come sooner rather than later. We all were kind of expecting this to be a long drawn out process. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily is going to be just based off of the product that we saw on the court this past season. Sure, I, I agree with you on that. By the way, I just want to give a quick tip of the cap. Uh, it was fun to see Lowry Markkinen win Most Improved Player of the Year in the NBA. Yes, that was uh, awesome. That's a franchise first for the Jazz. They never had a player win that. They've had former Jazzmen have won it with other franchises. Fun to see that. And also Walker Kessler. Uh, outside of Paolo Bancaro, the Orlando Magic rookie who ran away with the Rookie of the Year award, the only other two first-place votes went to Walker Kessler. So Jazz... They've got some pieces. That's the fun part about this. They, they made all those moves, and we were all wondering, okay, who's going to emerge? Well, Lowry Markin and Walker Kessler, and it feels like Ochai Abaji is probably that number three guy. Like, th- that seemed like the the start of the core here for the Jazz. You mentioned Lowry winning the mm-hmm. Most Improved Player Award. The list of guys that have won that award there's, okay, there's is both, really good. Well, there's good and some bad in there, but the good guys are very interesting. Greg. Well, let's just go over yeah. what's happened recently. Yeah. So Laurie wins it this year. John Morant last year. Julius Randle the year before. Brandon Ingram the year before. Pascal Siakam. Victor Oladipo. Giannis. C.J. McCollum. Jimmy Butler. Goran Dragic. Paul George. And then... Some of the names don't sure. get as Ryan Anderson, Kevin Love, Aaron Brooks, Danny Granger, Hito Turkoglu, Monte Ellis. But, I mean, these are guys that, have, especially over the last decade, have been guys that are major, major contributors in the league. And so you would hope that Laurie follows that and he takes that next step and stays one of the top guys in the league. Well, and the thing about it is I, I, I was on that Zoom call they had with him uh, 2 a.m., by the way, in Helsinki. He jumped on a Zoom call with the local media to talk about winning Most Improved Player. Credit to him for staying up that later, getting up that early, I suppose, uh, <laughs> while he's doing military training, regardless of whichever way he, he was handling it. But he, he talked about that. He's like, we got to go to the next level. He said, I, I'm, I'm happy with this award. I gl- I'm glad I have it in my back pocket, but there there's more to do. Yeah. And that's the right mentality to have. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what you want your star player to be saying mm-hmm. is I this is one step in a a, a series of steps Correct. we have to take in order to do the things that we want to do. All right. Uh, we will come back on the other side. We'll get to five minutes of talking about some of the other topics we have not had a chance to discuss yet. We do need to talk a little bit about RSL. They are in action tonight out at America First Field. That and more to come right here on the Saturday show. 
Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the KSL Sports Zone. I love off air conversations. Like, there's just, that's always fun. That's the fun part about it. Jake and I just don't tan the weight that I we know. used to. I know. That's what we were just discussing. Like, it's been a long winter, and I love getting outside. And, Mike, trust me, my, my, my two kids love them to death. They are outside kids to the core. Like, it doesn't matter. That's perfect. Rain, that's wind, sun, snow, shine. Doesn't matter. They will be outside. They lo- And as a, as a guy, like, I don't know. I, I'm getting softer in my old age. <laughs> and I, I love being outside, but the weather this week has finally been like, okay, yeah, I'm totally cool going outside with y'all. Let's right, go. Let's yeah. go outside. So I don't know. One of those fun things. But welcome back. Uh, time for five minutes of, and I want to start it off. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with RSL. Uh, Corey, I know that you have a vested interest because you have season tickets uh, to Real Salt Lake games. Uh, they are trending back up. And, Michelle, uh, Wednesday night they played in their first match of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, which is a during the MLS season they play this cup. It's for essentially the championship of the United States. Okay. Any soccer team, semi-pro or pro, can enter this. You can, in theory, make a run through the ranks. The, the MLS clubs come in in what they call the third round. Mm-hmm. You can go through the regional qualifying. If you wanted to put together a team of your friends – you, in theory, could go through the regional rounds and get into a place where you could play an MLS club on their and have them come to your home field, potentially. that That's the glory of what the U.S. Open Cup is. I'm just over here visualizing me trying to play soccer again. At, uh, sure. one, at one point in time, I would have been so into that. Yeah, but I'm just saying that yeah. that's what this is. that because, ship has sailed so, a bit. Yeah. Trust me, I, my, my dream of playing tight end for the San Francisco 49ers died. Also, and, also sailed. Yeah, <laughs> died really quick, let's put it that way. But... Uh, the fun part was is RSL made a trip to Cashman Field in Las Vegas. Used to be the home of the Las Vegas 51s, their AAA ball club, their baseball club down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built a new field over in Summerlin. They're now the Las Vegas Aviators. But the Las Vegas Lights, who play in the, the USL, which is the, I don't know, it's, a, it's the AAA to the, to the bigs that is Major League Soccer, if that makes sense, here in mm-hmm. the United States. Well, so, Real Salt Lake went to Las Vegas to take on the Las Vegas Lights in the third round of this game. 0-0 at the end of 90 minutes. But in the extra time, RSL bags three goals and runs away with a 3-1 win. It was crazy, okay. crazy stuff. Yeah, that that's like unheard of. If if you're dealing with goose eggs before extra time, like and that there shouldn't be that much hope that it's going to be I mean a pretty big score for soccer yeah it was not well here's the thing and Corey, i'll, I'll let you i want you to get, get your thought on this it wasn't as if they didn't have their chances in the first 90 minutes there it's just that las vegas and these lower division clubs mm-hmm. they're they know that they're battling this is their like in way uh, wait they're one shot at glory yeah they're right. playing a top tier side it's on their home field and they're going to play with everything they've got and they handed everything that RSL could handle because trust me Las Vegas had a couple of chances in that 90 minutes in a way that they, they could have stolen a win because last year uh, Real Salt Lake played the Northern Colorado Hellstorm you know how many professional matches the Northern Colorado Hellstorm had played before they showed up at, at what was then Rio Tinto Stadium now America First Field none three. Oh, okay they beat RSL one nothing. Hmm. Knocked RSL out of the U.S. Open Cup. So it's crazy. But, Corey, what were your takeaways? Well, I don't have a ton of takeaways from Wednesday night because – so let's put it this way. Uh, I'm an RSL season ticket holder, so I'm really invested on what they do for their MLS season and their MLS schedule. Wednesday night, my daughter had a soccer game, and Marcelo Silva, who is the captain when Demir Krylock is out – Correct. 
his daughter is on my daughter's soccer team. Oh. So he was out there watching his daughter play soccer Good while RSL was in Vegas playing this game. So if it shows you how much they have invest, they play a lot of different guys. Correct. Some of the guys are first teamers, but a lot of the guys are guys that don't get as much playing time. They if do, RSL yeah. wanted to play their full starting lineup, send everybody down to Vegas, you would like to think that they go in there and win that, you know, like five to nothing. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into it when one of the guys who's the captain is sitting right next to me watching an eight-year-old girl's soccer game while it's happening. What I'll go back to, though, is when they played San Jose on Saturday. Last Saturday, correct. And we talked uh, last Saturday about this, Jake, that this team was really struggling to score. You Mm -hmm. know, we know that in their first five games, they only had, I think, three goals. And then now they've scored seven goals in their last three games. And it's not just scoring the goals. All three of their goals against San Jose were world-class goals. I mean, they weren't just like a ball happens to come across the middle and a guy just redirects it in. I mean, world-class, really exciting highlight-type goals. And that's exciting to me because two of their last three games, both of them at home, they've won three to one. They've scored seven goals in their last three games. They've got to learn to get the ball in the back of the net. Hopefully that trend is starting to turn around because it was fun out there last Saturday night. Well, that's the thing about it. You're right. They, they take on Seattle tonight. Uh, and uh, DJ pointed this out, and I didn't realize. I had to go back and look it up. Uh, Seattle struggles when they come to Salt Lake, when they come to Sandy to play at America First Field. They have not won a match outright in Sandy since I think it was 2013, it's I think it, it and they've gotten some draws in there like they've had the ties and everything, but they have never won outright at Real Salt Lake in years. Hmm. So it'll be interesting because you're right. We had Pablo Mastroeni on with DJ and PK yesterday, and he came on. And PK said, "I'm going to ask you an unanswerable question," and he asked him, "Okay, you guys scored three times as you started out of the gate, super super slow, really, and all of a sudden." You're starting bagging goals in bunches. You mentioned seven goals in their last few matches. And Pablo said, yeah, that is pretty unanswerable. And Pablo was such a great interview. He gave a more elaborate answer. But essentially what he said is that these guys are putting in the same amount of work. Sometimes, in a way, there is some luck involved here. I'm still not convinced that RSL is a complete club. They need an out-and-out striker. They sent Justin Miram to Charlotte FC this week. Uh, he was looking for more playing time. Uh, they were supposed to get Andre Shinyashiki back in the deal. There is some kind of hijinks going on with a Major League Soccer investigation into some issue going on with him. So the deal still went through, but they're not getting the player back that they originally were going to make the trade for. They got allocation money, which is going to help them go out in theory and go sign somebody this summer. But I don't know. It's fun to be tracking this club in a way because there is so many moving parts to it. But I'm with you, Corey. Hopefully, the last little run of success it's gonna it's it's more representative of what RSL is versus what the start of the season was being the actual. If that makes sense. Yeah, and this is a team that shut them out earlier this season. They lost two to nothing to Seattle earlier in the season already. So this is a great litmus test for them to go out tonight and see. Okay, are the last three games? And granted, they lost two to one at Dallas, but I felt like they were the better team for about seventy of the ninety minutes in that Dallas mm-hmm. game. They lost two to one because they couldn't finish. But I feel like the last three games, they've been the better team. They've scored seven goals in those three games. What do they do tonight against Seattle, who shut them out the last time they played? I I mean, I just I know that fans were big mad uh, over what this team was looking like. So uh-huh. it's good to hear that may, maybe they've had an aha moment. We'll see. And, and are pos- possibly trending in the right direction. Well, that's, that is the hope. There's no doubt about that. And we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, 
I, a couple other topics I want to hit on here. Um, while you were sleeping in a way, or if you haven't been paying attention, Tony Finau, you know, local guy, he happens to be leading a PJ Tour event right now. I don't know. Okay, Tony Finau. He's down at the Mexico Open. He actually finished second last year in this event. It's at uh, the Vedanta Vallarta course. Uh, if you've heard of the Vedanta Resorts, I think they did some advertising with Utah Jazz in the past. <laughs> this is like their course. It's on their property. Uh Tony played really well in it last year, like I said. Finished second to John Rahm, who won the tournament last year. But Tony right now, he's already one under through three right now. He's in first place. He's two strokes clear. Brandon Wu uh, at the top of the field at minus 14. Tony's playing really, really well. It'd be good to see him kind of jumpstart a season this year that it's been okay. He's had a, a good run. Actually, the funny thing is, I think it was last week's event was his lowest finish of the season. It was in the 20s is what he finished. I think tied for 27th. But it would, good to see, it would be good to see him to jump start a season, hopefully, with a win in this tournament. We'll see if he's able to hold on. Sunday's been a little bit of a interesting <laughs> ride with Tony in, in previous tournaments when he's had the lead. But he had the back-to-back wins last year at the 3M Open as well as the what was it, the Rocket City Classic up there in Detroit. He won those back-to-back weekends, and everybody thought, okay, the floodgates are finally opening for Tony Fee now. I'd like to see him finish this tournament as well. and just We're starting to see Tony really round into, okay, this is a guy, he can play. I, I mean... That's exciting because his name has been floated around, you know, for a while. And as you mentioned, he's had his moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it would be nice to see him, like, round into that period of his career where it's, like, consistency. He's winning, yeah. He's winning consistently. Um, Because we just, we love all the fun local headlines here. (laughs) We do. And that's the thing about this. We we love our local guys showing out. And by the way, the other thing about this is, is... It's fun to see him. Cause did you watch the full swing series on Netflix about the PGA Tour? Uh-uh. They kind of Corey. Did you watch that? Oh, you, it's on my. It's in my you, queue, but you, I haven't seen it yet. You guys are missing out. Yeah, it, I, trust me. I I checked it out because I remember they launched it. They did the one with the F one, and they've done one with tennis and whatnot. Where they, 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 it's behind the scenes. Of, oh, they go. Okay. They have they have unfiltered access to these athletes in F one. They've made F one like this. They've helped make F one. A, a thing, thing yeah. because I have of theirs. A friend that loves it. It's like Need for Speed or whatever they call that one. They also have one for tennis that has not taken off necessarily as much, but it's it, this full swing they did for the PJ Tour. They tracked these guys throughout the entirety of last season, and they had the Tony Finau one where he, when he won the back to back, he won the 3M Open as well as the Rocket City Mortgage Classic in back to back weekends. And they showed the community, his his family, his extended family and friends that showed up to the Provo Airport when he flew back after winning the second tournament. I think it was the 3M is the, one, the second one. And they were just ecstatic. But you, you're right, Michelle. We love nothing more than a good local story. People mm-hmm. making good. Tony Finau, people don't realize, he comes from Rose Park. He comes from a place that you're not supposed to... I, I, this sounds bad. You're not supposed to do what he's doing from where he came from. No, it's right. a country club sport, and all these guys that have grown up on country clubs yeah. with all the private. I mean, Tony Finau's hitting balls off of a mattress in his garage. I mean, it's it's a completely yeah. different uh, feel up, for yeah. how he came up. Yeah, it's just it, it's so fun for I, I. It's easy to root for him. That's the thing. Oh, one thousand percent. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping because I, I don't feel like his what he's doing down in Mexico. I know it's the Mexico Open. It doesn't have the biggest purse. Hey, John Rahm's playing. John Rahm is <laughs> Masters champion. John yeah. Rahm's playing in it. And, he's, and if you go out and win that tournament, that means you beat John Rahm. No way. Tom, John Rahm's making a run right now. He is four under on the day. He's moved up to a tie for third at eleven under. Jeez, he is flying up the board right now. But that's the thing about this. It'd be huge to see him for Tony put another win under his belt. Well, and and just everybody loves him here. Oh, yeah. And part of it's he's he's 
quite invested in what goes on here. I know Correct. he's been to Utah games. I think he's been down to BYU stuff. Yeah, he shows up to a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and again, we, we just love that intermingling with our sports here. Well, and the reason I referenced the full swing thing is they did an entire episode on him. And in it, he talked about the fact, he said, there have been, there have been people out there who said, he's got five kids. Like, him and his wife, Lena, they're, they're great parents. Trust me, they're as invested in their kids as he is. He's like, people have told me that I can't be a successful dad and like be a, a true dad and also win on the PGA Tour. I want to flip that on its head. I want to prove I can do that. And he's doing it. So that's why it's just, it was cool to see his perspective on he's this elite golfer. He's a top 10 in the world golfer. It's just, it's crazy that he comes from Rose Park. <laughs> Right. He, he called it, him his brother. They called it They called it the Rose Park Country Club. And anybody can go play Rose Park. Trust me. If you haven't played Rose Park, I'd encourage you to give it a shot. It's just it's worth playing. It's this one of those city courses that Salt Lake uh, Salt Lake City runs. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little track. But that's where they learn to play. And this guy is now playing on the most expensive courses in the world and making millions of dollars. It's fun. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we we love the the feel good story. Yeah, so all right, we'll we'll be rooting for Tony. Uh, like I said, he he's currently at fourteen under. He is through three uh, in his third round action. He came out of the gate shooting sixty five and sixty four. That's flying out of the gate. But uh, hopefully he can hold that lead. And like I said, John Rahm making a run, and he he did really well at this tournament last year too. I was obviously winning it. All right, we'll come back. We'll get some final thoughts. Uh, wrap up this edition of the Saturday show. It's flown by, really, Michelle. I know it. It's 11.45 already. Anyways, we'll come back. This is the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. It has been a really fun show. Uh, NFL draft ongoing. Uh, we have seen, let's see, we had four locals taken while we've been on air, Michelle. Uh, three Utes and a Cougar, right? No, two Utes and a Cougar. Oh, you, no, you're right. Braden, I'm counting, uh, I'm already counting Dalton Mumon. Kincaid. Oh, Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. Got but, it, got it, got Yeah, it. anyways, yeah. So it's been fun to track that, obviously. But uh, as we move forward here, so... We are now in round five. I, this is kind of the territory where a lot of people thought a guy like Jaron Hall is, is probably going to land. Uh, Aiden O'Connell from Purdue was just drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders, and that's, to me, a little bit of a, of a surprise because I never even saw Aiden O'Connell anywhere near the top ten of any quarterback list that I was reading in the lead-up to it. But, hey, welcome to the draft. Teams feel like they're, they've got like this quote-unquote diamond in a rough. It only just, takes one team. I know. It, that's, does, it, it does. does. Trust me, my team took a kicker in the third round. I, Jake Moody's really good. Trust me, he was really good at Michigan. But as a 49ers fan, I'm like, you had, you know, multiple offensive tackles sitting there. You need to right tackle, and you go and take a kicker? Well, well since you guys are going to play a seventh-round flash-in-the-pan quarterback, you're going to be kicking a lot of field he goals. He is the so. next great quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. We're, here's the thing. They've been talking about trading Trey Lance. Like, don't you dare. Do not. You can't. You can't. You need the insurance policy. <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> remember last year you went through all of them. Oh, don't remind me. Oh, I still have flashbacks to watching. Who was it? Who was the quarterback they brought in after? Uh, so it was that. Um, it was a. He's a guy who played for like twenty years in the in the NFL. What's his name? He brought it. Came in after the injury to Brock Purdy. I can't remember his name even. It was oh that, yeah. It was that unremarkable? Yeah. And they're like, well, we'll see what. Nope. 
I don't even remember who they, who came in. Yeah, because I, I remember, remember it, being like, "Well, this Josh game's over." Jackson. I don't know. Anyways, it, it was desperation hour for sure. I was at that point. I'm like, you know what? They have was, Kyle Shanahan worked every bit of magic he had to keep that roster doing what it's what it was doing. I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting. But so the, getting back to the point, I think Jaron Hall's kind of in this territory where he goes now. Uh, Puka Nakua is still out there. I think he's probably a sixth or seventh rounder. Uh, Muhammad, Muhammad Diabate. M- Mumad. Mu- uh, is it Mumad? It is Mumad. Mumad Diabate. When did we learn this? For, for forever ago. I, I would only call him Mo until I was like, for sure, for sure. But M- it's Mumad. Mumad. Wow, I wish I would have known that earlier. I, that's, that's my bad on that. I mean, <laughs> so Mo Diabate, this is kind of the territory where we, I think sixth, seventh round is where he goes. Mm-hmm. And if you want one, like I, I'm calling him a, a dark horse for like, a local guy to get drafted, it's uh, Caleb Hayes out of BYU. Had a phenomenal pro day. Like jump, run, everything. Like It was like yeah. those are all NFL numbers. I could see a team late in the seventh round. Mr. Irrelevant type territory. We're talking like the final ten picks, taking a, a flyer. Uh, yeah, what, what the hell? Exactly. <laughs> let's give, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Another interesting nugget: Stetson yeah. Bennett. Oh yes, two-time national champion quarterback. Did he, get he got picked in the fourth round by the St. Louis or not St. Louis? Wow, look at me. Wow. The L.A. Rams. The St. Rams Louis, took Stetson Bennett. From? Yeah, Stetson oh, Bennett went the twenty-sixth pick of the fourth round to the L.A. Rams. Oh. The thing on the Stetson Bennett thing is people were like, there's no chance he makes the NFL. And all of a sudden, like, he goes out in these pre-draft workouts, the pro day and whatnot, and everybody's like, oh, he actually, he, you know what? He, he's okay. It's like, I, he won he, two here, national championships. Here's what drives me crazy about that conversation. So you have a guy like Bryce Young that goes number one overall. Sure. yeah. I just barely learned how short Bryce Young is. 5'10 and change. 5'10 and change. Which is fine. Like, I say throw the numbers out. Like, I hate the numbers. The na- the numbers drive me crazy that the NFL so married to those. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, the narrative with Stetson Bennett, the enti- his entire college career, he's, how short he is. He's too small. He's, he's too small. He's mm-hmm. too short. Ugh. He's actually taller than Bryce Young. <laughs> and, by the way, he's quite an athlete. And he has two rings. <laughs> yeah, I, which Bryce Young does not. <laughs> so I just I think it's so funny that they're not considered at least equals. But yeah. okay. And here's the thing: I have nothing against Bryce Young. I like Bryce Young. He sure. seems like a nice guy. But it's just really funny the narrative surrounding these two, and they're more similar than they are different. It, you're right. It, it's just. <laughs> oh, Dorian Thompson Robinson just off the board. I just saw that. Uh, he round five. Dorian Thompson Robinson to the Cleveland Browns. Interesting. DTR. So this is there's run on the quarterbacks here. I would keep your eyes out if you're watching the draft uh, with this run right now. That means Jaron Hall's name could be coming up pretty quick. We'll see. I, by the way, this is my personal thought. There's two teams, one of which I can't stand because they're my arch rival, Seattle Seahawks. I think it'd be do well to get Jaron Hall. I also think if the Indianapolis Colts want to kind of follow the Washington Commanders model they had a few years ago, if you remember, RG3 was taken in the first round. Why would anybody want to follow the Commanders model? But but, but I'm just saying. (laughs) It's football, Jake. Do you remember when they took RG3 and they took uh, Kirk Cousins Cousins in the same draft? Yep. Like to essentially be the the foil for one another? If the boomer bust potential with Anthony Richardson and you want a guy who can kind of come and be the foil, Jaron Hall to Indianapolis is not out of the realm of possibility in my mind, but. Because he's been connected with Indianapolis. Shane Steichen, there was multiple reports out there that they met with him. They came out to Provo and worked out Jaron Hall. 
So I, I don't hate that thought. Actually, I don't really hate either either thought. I hate it, the thought because yeah, well, I, I get yeah, I get from the petty fan standpoint. But as far as like a fit yeah. and a good place for him to be, I I think either of those actually work it's, quite well. Yeah, they'd fit his skill set. All right, any final thoughts from you, Michelle? I think we just about wrapped wrap this up. All right. Well, uh, we will just do just that. Uh, keep it locked right here on the KSL Sports Zone throughout the week. We'll have a full breakdown of how the draft progresses on Monday. DJ and PK, Jake and Ben, Hans and Scotty as well as Unrivaled will have that. And we will be back next Saturday. For Michelle and Corey, I'm Jake. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.